Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, July the 18th, 2023. It is currently 4.40 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, if you think back, way, way back, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far, far away, a great adventure took place. An adventure in the proper distinction between law and gospel. Because it was October 2022. I know that was a long, long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far, far away. But it was October of 2022 when I started a series on law and gospel. And I made it very clear that I thought it was the most important series that I would ever do, had ever done, that nothing would come close to it. Because I believe that there is a major problem in the evangelical church, and that is an absolute destruction of a proper distinction between law and gospel. The two have been so merged that the gospel really is no longer the gospel. It's become something else. So we've been talking about it, and we talked about it, and we talked about it. I did about 80 hours of teaching, and then I felt the uh, the entire series kind of jumped the shark, yes, borrowing from the fame happy days episode jumped the shark and I felt like I kind of lost the audience that that everything just kind of fell apart took a little break tried to figure out how I could improve it how I could fix it how how we could do it and I decided let's just do a law and gospel redo and the way we're doing this redo is we're using episodes from Issues Etc. It's a Lutheran radio program. It's also a podcast. Everyone should subscribe to the Issues ETC, the Issues Etc. podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, you should definitely subscribe to it. They're doing a series for that radio program entitled Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel. So what we are doing is we're taking their episodes. Now, their episodes are about an hour long, but they have commercials, right? They have their commercial breaks because it's a radio program. So we're taking each segment from the beginning of the segment until the commercial break and just kind of reviewing it. And it's we're basically starting the our, our series of long gospel over in a sense. Really, we're going to just say we're redoing it. It's kind of a it's kind of a review. It's kind of a maybe we should call it long gospel review, but that's OK. We're doing it a redo in a sense that we're kind of restarting the series. And hopefully it's been beneficial already. Now, if you're brand new, please go back and listen to the 80 plus hours of teaching we've already done on this subject. And and if you aren't new, well, then hopefully this redo will do a lot of refreshing, reinforcing, reminding you of these very important principles. Okay. Now, not only does issues, not only is issues, ETC, issues, etc. using the book, I use the book as well in my series. And the book, now they, they, they're probably, they're, well, no, really, I think in a roundabout way, they're still using, uh, kind of the summary version. The book I would always point everyone to is God's No and God's Yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel. God's No and God's Yes, 
The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel by C.F.W. Walther, right? Now, there is a, the lar- there's a, uh, we'll be talking about the larger version here soon. Uh, there's some different ways you can access it. Some people, uh, someone sent me some links. So we'll be talking about that at a later time when, when we feel we kind of get there. But right now we're just kind of using issues ETC and then God's no and God's yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel. Now inside God's no and God's yes, There's what, 25 theses on the proper distinction between law and gospel. And currently on this episode of Issues ETC that we're reviewing, they are talking about thesis number one, C.F.W. Walther, God's no and God's yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel. His first thesis was this, the doctrinal contents of the entire Holy Scripture, both of the Old and the New Testament are made up of two doctrines differing fundamentally from each other. Those two doctrines are law and gospel. The entire Bible is made up of those two doctrines. They differ fundamentally from each other, law and gospel. Make sure you understand law and gospel is in the Old Testament and law and gospel is in the New Testament, right? You have to be able to properly distinguish, oh, there's a law passage, there's a gospel passage. Now, what he is doing, where, where they are in their review, is they're looking, because CFW Walther, what he does is he gives us the true points of difference between law and gospel. And here are the differences he has outlined so far. Number one, these two doctrines, law and gospel, they differ as regards of the manner of their being revealed to man. The way law is revealed to man and the way gospel is revealed to man, there is a distinction. There is a difference. We've already talked about that. Number two, as regard to their contents. Number three, as regards to the promises held by either doctrine. Uh, Number four, as regards to their threatenings. Number five, in regards to the function and effect of either doctrine And number six, as regards to the persons to whom either one or the other doctrine must be preached. Those are the six differences. Let me give them to you one more time. We've already talked about this in my teaching, and they've covered this already in some of these episodes where we're, you know, we're reviewing this audio from Issues ETC. Here we go. The difference between law and gospel, they are different in regards to the manner of how they were revealed to man. Number two, and their contents. Number three, their difference in regards to the promises held by each doctrine. Number four, in regards to their threatenings. Number five, in regards to the function and effect of both of either doctrine. And number six, in regards to the person to whom each, to whom either the one or the other doctrine must be preached. All right, that's CFW Walther's offering the ways in which law and gospel are different, the way they are, in fact, the exact words here in the book, if I can go back to it. The true points of difference between law and gospel. Now that, I kind of just gave you all six. We've already talked about them in depth in the past. We've already talked about about three or four of those already in this review of the Issues ETC program that we're uh, reviewing. And now we're just going to jump back in and see where they pick this up. I think they're on number four. We'll see where they pick this up and we'll see what they have to say. Here we go.
issues, etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're beginning a series on CFW Walther's Law and Gospel Theses. So, Will, the fourth difference that Walther enumerates is regarding threats. Right. Actually, can I add a little bit more on the one we just did before sure. we before we move on? Sure. Because he said some stuff here that is so beautiful, I, I just have to share it. He says, unconditional promises of grace and salvation, that's what we find in the gospel. Verily a precious difference. When the law has laid us low, we can cheerfully raise our heads again. Because besides the law, we have another doctrine which proposes to us no demands of any kind. Were we to ask Christ, what is expected of me in order that I may be saved? His answer would be no works. I've done all the works that had to be done. You need not drink one drop of the cup that I had to drink. A person fully entering into the meaning of this fact must be moved to leap for joy by the very joy of these glad tidings that have been brought to him. A person who, in spite of this message, continues to be despondent and muses, I'm an abominable man, there's no forgiveness for me, does nothing less than reject the gospel, which means rejecting Christ. Though I had committed the grossest sins and had to say with Paul, I'm the chief of sinners, though I had committed the sin of Judas or the sin of Cain, nevertheless, I am to accept the gospel because it demands nothing of us. Wow, that is powerful. The gospel demands nothing of us because the gospel is all about what God has done for us. The gospel, it, it, it's in the gospel that Christ's obedience is given to me by faith alone. And when you say the gospel doesn't demand anything of us, you would be shocked how many Christians will be like, no, 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 that's not, no, no, no. The gospel does have demands. The go- and the minute they say that, they're talking law. Ask some of your Christian friends, does the gospel demand anything of us? You will get a resounding yes. You'll get an emphatic, dogmatic declaration of yes. It demands this, 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 this. But that's no longer the gospel. That's law. The gospel doesn't demand anything. It 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 declares it is finished. It is done in Jesus Christ. He kept the law on your behalf. He died for all of your sins. In him, it is all finished and complete. You can rest perfectly. It's all done. The law is the thing that demands. And everything the law demands, Christ provides. Everything the law demands, Christ accomplished. Say that around some of your Christian friends, they will rise up and fight. They'll say, that's antinomianism. They'll rise up and script. That's easy believism. No, it's called the gospel. But they want a law-based gospel. They do not want a grace-based gospel. They want a gospel based off what you do, not a gospel on what Christ did. They want a gospel where things are not yet finished yet versus a gospel that declares it is finished. All right, that, that's powerful that they read that. That is powerful. Isn't that beautiful? I, I just love how he lays that out. So that, several times in his sermons, he'll talk about somebody on the deathbed and, and they're they're going to be just terrified by the thought of all the things 
that they've done and all the ways they've broken God's commandments and how they'll, they'll wish they had more time to amend their lives and how a pastor is so blessed to be the one at that moment who says to them, look, <laughs> what you need to do right now is to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ crucified, which is where all your sins lie, and believe that he is your righteousness and he alone. And he says, with this word, you can comfort anyone in the terrors of death. So now we can move on to the next one. So he words this carefully. He says they don't differ in the nature of their threats because he's going to immediately say the gospel (laughs) issues no threats whatsoever. Right. He's like, okay, so they differ in the nature of threats because if there is a threat, you know you're dealing with law and not with gospel. Very important. There are no threats in the gospel. There are no threats in the gospel. As CFW Walther wrote in uh, God's Knowing, God just, I get every, look, I don't know, I don't know how much money you have. I don't know what you have to do, but purchase as many copies of God's No and God's Yes as you can possibly get and uh, give them to anyone and everyone you can find, right? If I had like, if I had $500, I would, I would just start giving away copies of the book like crazy uh, because um, it's... I mean, it's really, I mean, I'm not saying I agree with every little specific detail, but it, it's the best you're going to get when it comes to law and gospel distinction, because I'm sorry. And even within the reform world and much of the evangelical world and in the fundamentalism, fundamentalist world, it's all law, 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 law. Everything's law and not gospel. And, and it is a major problem here. It is a major problem. Give me one second. I'm going to check something here. All right. Um, okay. Well, all right. Okay. I, I was checking uh, something, but I'm going to read here from, I'm going to read here from uh, the book, God's No and God's Yes. This is page 17. All right. This is very important. The fourth difference between law and gospel relates to threats. The gospel contains no threats at all, but only words of consolation. Whenever in scripture you come across a threat, you may be assured that passage belongs in the law because the law is nothing but threats. Nothing but threats. And think of how much of your Christianity you have set under threats. If you don't do this, and if you don't do this, you may not be saved. If you don't do, check this, do this, look at this, do this. If you're not this, you may not be saved. 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 Those are all threats, 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 threats. And what do they point you to in order to to take away your fear of that threat, to take away that danger of that threat? They point to you acting different, stopping sin, doing better, because you're constantly threatened that you possibly are not saved. You're possibly not saved. The only way to deal with the threats of the law is the completed, finished work of Christ and the gospel. And the gospel doesn't make any threat because Christ paid for everything. Very important. The gospel just doesn't have threat attached to it. What it does have is sweet, overflowing comfort and joy. And he says, whenever in Scripture then you come across a threat, you just don't need to ask. You can know that passage belongs to the law. 
he would be indeed a blessed person who could fully realize this comforting truth. The Holy Spirit produces this knowledge wherever it exists. I love that. When you're reading the Bible and all of a sudden there's a threat and you're feeling not just uncomfortable, but uh, terrified, in that moment you realize, ah, this is the word of law, and I do need to hear this word of law, but this is not where my righteousness resides. It simply shows me that I am not the person that God has called me to be and that I need his forgiveness and I need a righteousness that is not my own. Thanks be to God. That is what is proclaimed and given to me in the gospel. He has a little side note here that I think is worth seeing. However, we are not, are not to imagine that the gospel makes men secure because it has no threats to hurl at men. On the contrary, the gospel removes from believers the desire to sin. Yeah, and I wanted to sort of comment on this one from one of his sermons, okay? This I just think is is so beautiful. He says, but Christians through faith experience the love by which God from eternity has loved as a father loves his children, has loved them as a father loves his children. By experiencing this love, they are begotten by God participate in the divine nature and become true children of the eternal perfect love. They are obligated as children of God to love as their father loves and they receive from him the holy sweet power to love. Therefore up, arise, walk now as dear children in love. The children of God here below have not been perfectly delivered out of the bonds of their natural corruption, the old loveless heart often continues to stir in them bad thoughts, to cling to its love of the creature, and even to break out into loveless words and deeds. But all of this cannot rule the one who is a true child of God. When he succumbs to it, he at once falls on his face in the dust and asks, sighing and crying for grace and forgiveness. God has no stillborn children. If someone is a true child of God, he is not only obligated to walk in holy love, he also has the desire and power and grace to do it. Okay, now this is where I start having some of my issues with C.F.W. Walther and a lot of people even within the law and gospel camp, because so many times those within the law and gospel camp inadvertently, I feel like, revert right back to a law-based mindset. Because we, because Christians, we just, it's almost impossible for us to just conceive that we are saved by what Christ did. We always have to say, well, if you're a true child of God, and see, now this becomes, that's a threat. That's a veiled threat. If you are a true child of God, then you will love. If you are a true child of God, God will give you the power to love. But now, but he then went went ahead, but I mean, you're not going to do it perfectly. Well, wait a minute. Did God give me the power to love or not give me the power to love? Either God's power is enough to give me to say that I can love the Lord that God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul, or he did not give me that power. And it's like Christians always want to assure people, you have the power now to love. I mean, but not perfect love. Well, then what kind of power did God? It's like if God is the one granting the power, the power should be sufficient. I, 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 it really does bother me. And I, and I mean this, honestly, it really does bother me that we constantly 
speak of having power, but then we turn around and then want to limit, like, well, you have power. I mean, you can't get to perfection. All right, so I have power, it's divine power, but I can't get to perfection. Well, what kind of divine power can't get to perfection? Well, how much, how, how, then because I have divine power, well, then can I, what sins can I stop? Can I only stop external sins? Can I stop internal sins? Like, like what, what, like, what does it do? And nobody can ever clearly articulate it. They just say that you've got power, but they can't really explain why that power can't get you to perfection or why, even though you have the power, you turn around and, but you're still going to sin. You're still going to sin. You're still going to sin. Now, I do believe that when you come to faith in Christ, you change your mind. And obviously, I believe you're going to think differently. I do believe that there will be different desires. But the, but, but when we talk about power, power almost always equals ability. And I, we, I know this, you, you don't have the ability to stop sinning. So I always get nervous there. I always get nervous. And, and again, there's a veiled threat. If you truly are a child of God, if I'm truly a child of God, what? Because whatever you tell me I'm not doing. See, here's the weird thing. All your sins are paid for. But if you do this, you prove you're not a child of God. Well, wait a minute. If you use that against me saying that proves I'm not a child of God, you're using a sin. You're using a failure to prove I'm not a child of God. But all of those sins are paid for in Christ. So you can't use sin to say that I'm not a child of God, as long as I've put my faith in Christ, the very sin you point to has been paid for <laughs> and I'm covered in the perfect righteousness of Christ. So it's just, it's always I, the language here, Christians and Christians never can, it, like when you try to explain this to a Christian, they get all confused and, 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 and I, and I understand it because you want to believe because all, all modern, especially within the evangelical world, Christianity is always about behavioral change. It's always about change, 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 action, action, what you do, what you do, what you do. It's so little about what Christ did. Whatever power, like here's what I always say when people want to argue about, well, no, 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 you've got power. You've got, you're, you're changed. I always, my question is, are, so you're talking about I'm perfectly changed? I no longer have a sinful nature? Well, no, 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 no. You still have a sinful nature. Okay. So now you've just limited the change. You've just now said the change did not eradicate the old nature. You yourself have limited it. I have power. Do I have the power to be perfect? No. Okay, now you yourself are agreeing that the power is limited. So do we really want to have a major fight over limited power and limited change? Because now we have to debate and fight over what that limited power and change is when we both agree it's limited. Like, that just seems like a weird, people get so mad at me. I'm like, look, you yourself acknowledges the power doesn't get you to perfection. You yourself acknowledges the change does not include the eradication of the old nature. So then what are we fighting about? And they never really can articulate, except they just, they just, they, they know, they know they can't say, that it gets us to perfection and they know they can't say it's the eradication of the old nature. So they're really kind of just left with, well, but there's got to be something. There's got to be, okay, well, what does that mean? There's got to be something. What does that mean? What does it look like? 
What is what? And I said, well, I mean, it, it, it won't be perfection, but it'll be. And then they try to somehow give some kind of modified. It will at least be this, at least be this according to whom? Because again, whatever you demand, that is law. You can give me all the demands and say, you must do this in order to be saved. And I'm like, Christ did it for me. Am I saying that we should not pursue holiness? I'm not saying that. Are, are you saying that you should just ex- live in sin and excuse it and be happy with it? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying when it comes to my justification, we have to understand it in a correct way. It reminds me of how you always said, you know, how when people diss the the third use of the law, what they're really dissing is the Holy Spirit's power in their lives. I and mean, Walter is very clear running down that same line right there. The fifth difference he enumerates is concerning the effects of the two doctrines, law and gospel. Yeah. He says th- that this is threefold. In the first place, the law tells us what to do, but doesn't enable us to comply with its demands. It rather causes us to become more unwilling to keep the law. True. Some treat the law as if this is very important. I want, I want you to hear this. The fifth point of difference between law and gospel considers the effects of these two doctrines. The effects of the preaching of the law is threefold. In the first place, the law tells us what to do, but does not enable us to comply with its commands. It rather causes us to become more unwilling to keep the law. Christians think that we can impose biblical law, impose biblical morality, and then that's going to fix everyone. No, it's not. The law of God does not enable you to keep it. And not only that, it causes you to become more unwilling. The more law you give, the more unwilling people will be to keep it. The law does not do it. it, it that's what it does. It's not going to uh, change anything else. All right. And the second, the law uncovers to man his sins, but offers him no help to get out of them and hurls the man into total despair. The law breaks you, it condemns you, it exposes you, it humiliates you, it leads you to despair, discouragement, and depression. All right, let's see how they cover all of this. If it were a rule in arithmetic, However, let the law once force its way into a person's heart, and that heart will strain with all its force against God. The person will become furious at God for asking such impossible things of him. Remember Luther in his time in confession when Staupitz finally had to say to him, look, the problem is not that God hates you. The problem is that you hate God. He he nailed him on that. And to Luther's shock, he had to admit it was true because he'd really heard what the law said. And the effect of hearing the law actually makes him want to sin even more, to rebel even more. If somebody tells me I have to do it, something inside of me says, oh yeah, let me show you. It's like the wet paint sign, right? It's like, don't touch wet paint. And what do you do? You reach out and touch it. That's how the law tends to operate. In the second place, the law uncovers to man his sins, but it doesn't offer him any help in getting out of them, and thus it hurls man into despair. So the law is a mirror, and it can show you your sin in astonishing clarity. 
one of the really great gems of our church that CFW Walter helped to uh, put together and publish was this, um, well, it's called the Gebetschatzbuch in uh, German, but we call it the Lutheran Prayer Companion. And in the Lutheran Prayer Companion, there is an exercise of self-reflection through the Ten Commandments. And I challenge anybody to work their way through that prayer and to come out thinking they smell like roses. I mean, you do that prayer, it does indeed drive you to despair of your own righteousness. You realize you simply do not have any. The law has done that. It showed that. And finally, the law can produce contrition. But contrition doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means. In in the Lutheran theological use, contrition is always terror on account of the judgment of God against sin. So it shows you this is what God says you must do and you haven't done and that you want to do, and you can't do anything about it. And not only can you not do anything about it, but the price of not being able to do anything about it is hell. And when you have all of that running full blast, you have the law doing its job. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We will get to the effects of the gospel on the other side of the break as we begin a new series on CFW Walther's Law and Gospel Theses. Okay, we'll stop right there because, again, we're breaking these up in segments, and their, and their commercial breaks are determining where we stop and where we begin. Let me go back to uh, just once again this. This is very important, all right? The fifth point of difference between the law and gospel concerning the effects of the two doctrines. The effects of the preaching of the law is threefold. So whenever the law is preached, here is the effect. Three things. Number one, the law tells you what to do, but it does not enable you to comply with its commands. It rather causes us to become more unwilling to keep it. It's not going to help you. And you're not, you're not going to be able to keep it, and it's going to make you more unwilling to keep it. Number two, the law uncovers to man his sins, but offers him no help to get out of them and thus hurls him into despair. The law will just lead you into despair. Number three, the law produces contrition. It conjures up the terrors of hell, of death, of the wrath of God, but it has not one Drop, I'm using the word one, it has not a drop of comfort to offer the sinner. You get no comfort, none. The law will just live. And so many times in American Christianity, you're not really, your only comfort you're offered is do better, read your Bible more, go to church more, pray more, do this, do that, do this, join a small group, find a, find an app to monitor everything you do, get an accountability partner, you slap yourself in the face three times, you run around the block, do this, do, it's do, it's just a list of do's, do's, do, and it drives you to total point of despair because not only that's all law, and it's just going to condemn you. Now, the question, the debate will be in the next segment, he's going to show, because remember, this is trying to show the differences between the law and gospel concerning the effects. He's going to talk about the effects of the gospel. And a lot of people then say, well, see, the gospel gives you the power to do all of this. Even as a Christian, you still can't keep the law. You're still going to fall short. The effects of the gospel is the gospel tells you the law has been kept 
for you. And in Christ, you have kept it. The gospel gives you forgiveness, not condemnation. The gospel tells you it's all done for you. Now, some people want to say the gospel now gives you the power to do it. So then you get right back into the basic saying, do it, do it, do it. Are you... I wish we could, but we've already established even people who say you have been given power, they always limit the power. Oh, so I can be perfect? No, you can't be perfect. Okay. Well, then what? (laughs) What does that mean? Well, you've been changed. Okay. Have I been changed completely to the eradication of the old? Well, no, the old nature is still there. You've limited the power. You've limited the change. So I don't know why we're going to have that debate because I know this, people are still going to sin. And law will not help them. Now, law is important still to be preached. We still need the law because it reveals to us how messed up we are. And then it drives us to Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we just sit back and go, we'll just do whatever we want. No, but it, it tells us that our only hope is to start first in what Christ did. Then, yes, we are, we are engaged in a never-ending battle to try to live out practically what is true positionally, no matter, even though we will never do so. We need to at least try. We strive. We fight. We try to mortify the flesh. We try to put off. We try to put on. We are, we are constantly struggling to do these things in any kind of a practical way. But some people think the gospel just comes along and just like, now you're Superman and you can do it. But it, it doesn't work. We, 2,000 years of church history, and your own experience tells you it doesn't. All right. Okay, we'll stop. I want to just read them to you because I've got them right here of how C.F.W. Walther is going to handle the effects of the gospel, but we'll let them talk about it. The next time we revisit, we redo our ongoing series on law and gospel. Again, if you have if you haven't listened to everything we've done, please go back and start with part one, episode one, all the way back October of 2022, 80 hours plus of preaching and teaching on law and gospel. And now we're just kind of redoing some of this, refreshing, reminding, reinforcing, because much of the evangelical world, much of the non-Catholic world, as much as we say we believe in the gospel, we have systematically turned a gospel of grace into a gospel of law. And it's problematic because it hides and blinds people to the true gospel. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I think I have time to do one more live broadcast before the uh, SWORD National Conference begins at 6 p.m., which we are working on this week. We've talked about that in other podcasts. Go listen. And if I have a chance to get one more live broadcast in before 6 p.m., we'll mention it again. But I wanted to at least knock out another segment of our discussion of law and gospel. So there you go. All right. Thanks for listening. I'll be back on the air hopefully shortly. God bless.